Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Who Cares? What's the Point? Now, anger on the internet is pretty hard to avoid, whether it's in the comments section of a news site or Twitter, a Facebook site, or something else entirely different or related to that. It's everywhere. Now, despite the evidence that anger is regularly expressed all over the internet, there's been relatively little research exploring the way anger is expressed or experienced online. Join me as I speak with Ryan Martin uh, from the Department of Human Development and Psychology in the University of Wisconsin in Green Bay in the USA about his research on anger and how it is expressed on the internet. And we talk about lots of different topics, including the relevance for social media today. Join us, have a listen, and make up your own mind. Thank you, Ryan, for for joining us on the show. We start normally with um, asking why it was that you got interested in researching this topic in the first place. So why anger on the internet? Yeah, so it, it's, uh, it started honestly about probably 10 years ago, and I got really interested because I was actually sort of an active um, commenter, I guess I'll say, on, you know, things in the local uh, newspaper website, right? You know, that at the time, uh, disconnected from Facebook at the time, now I think typically integrated, integrated with Facebook, but that, you know, most papers or most uh, news resources had these discussion forums. And I was actually a pretty active, uh, you know, author in some of those. I would I would go check each day and I would write. And I just noticed so many different versions of anger uh, out there. You know, a lot of fights, a lot of um, just angry disputes. And um, I got really interested. I was already an anger researcher and I got really interested in how that was playing itself out. Um, around that same time, I became familiar with um, uh, these websites called that I've just been calling essentially rage sites um, that were designed to let people just vent anonymously. And at the time, you know, the, this again, you have to imagine sort of a pre really active social media world. Um, these websites were getting a lot of attention. There are things like justrage.com or not always right or uh, just vent and things like that. And people were really just using those uh, all the time to, um, to, to voice their anger and vent their anger. So I got really interested in those and, and what and essentially thinking about how the internet and social media is changing the way we feel things and changing the way we express those feelings. Absolutely. And I think that's what really attracted me to to this work and this paper in particular, because, you know, this paper is from 2013. So it's a, it's a, a wee while ago, but you, you state very clearly that actually at that point, we didn't really know a lot about how anger is expressed on the internet, um, on these rage sites, as you say, and, and, and what that would mean and how, um, what the meaning of that would be and the impact of that. And of course, now we have this you know, very complex social media world. And perhaps we can talk a little bit about the present day later on in this interview. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, when, you were, when you were posting and commenting on these sites, um, what were the sorts of things that came to mind with your knowledge of the literature uh, as an anger researcher? What, what were the areas that you were looking to explore? 
You know, I wanted to know more than anything what people got out of venting that way. So what did it do for them psychologically to uh, to 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 go online and essentially write and rant this uh, this way? Um, you know, it, it, I'd been I was a little bit familiar with actually writing as a form of treatment for anger. And so the idea that you would kind of write about your feelings has long been used in various ways uh, related to treating emotional problems. But that's very different, right? That's that that's a different process than just venting for venting's sake. You know, there's a difference between I want to write to better understand where I'm coming from and why I'm feeling this way. That's different than saying I just need to let the world know how mad I am. And so I really wanted to know what is it people were getting out of this, um, you know, so, you know, because sometimes it was about an argument, you know, and they, so they're trying to actually change someone's mind. But sometimes that wasn't the goal. The goal was just to go let people know anonymously how mad you were. And I wanted to know why. And it's interesting, isn't it? It relates to this idea, as you talk about this old idea of catharsis, this idea that by venting, by giving voice to this feeling of anger, somehow it helps us to move on, makes us feel better. And and I guess one of the things that you make a point of in your literature review is that, yeah, that might be true in the short term, but long term, that doesn't look true. Yep. We, we've known uh, for actually quite some time that when it comes to anger, catharsis is simply not the way, right? In fact, we even refer to it as the catharsis myth, this idea that venting is good for you when it comes to anger. You know, it's, it's sort of rooted in this idea that we're like these human pressure cookers and we, you know, have, have to let go of our anger or else we'll explode, right? We need to release a little bit so or we'll explode. And that's just not the way we work. Um, what we see is that the more often we do that, the more often we're inclined to do that. And so when we, you know, because it feels good, um, we're rewarded for it. And then we just continue down that, uh, down that road. Yeah. And there are different ways that perhaps people are rewarded for venting their anger. And we'll come on to that, um, I think, when we discuss what it is that you found. But maybe we can move on to, to the paper. You, you did a, a couple of different studies here. So maybe you can talk a little bit about um, study one. Um, what were you trying to find out and, and where did you recruit your people from? I'm curious about the story there. Yeah, so um, the recruitment was the difficult part. Basically, what we wanted to do is uh, for the for the first part of this study was survey the actual um, people who go visit those websites, um, not just the people who rant on them, but the people who go there and, and read them as well, uh, and just read the rants and. Um, what we found, oh, and I, I guess I'll talk a little bit about the recruiting piece, but um, what we did is we uh, identified four very popular uh, rant sites or rage sites, um, and we uh, actually reached out to the administrators of those sites to ask for uh, help recruiting people. Um, in some cases, they were uh, you know, willing to do that. In other cases, they were not. Um, we also we posted the link there as a you know you could post anything anonymously on those sites so we would post the link there and ask people to participate and uh, that sort of thing. Um, in some cases they used it you know the the administrators actually included it as an ad you know like a banner ad up on the top hey take mm -hmm. the survey. Um, people were able to get 
um, they were entered into a drawing for uh, a gift card. To, uh, we had a couple of options for them. And so that's how we recruited participants. And I think it's fair to acknowledge that one of the limitations of the study is we did not have a huge uh, number of participants. You know, and people were venting anonymously for a reason. And, um, and so we didn't have uh, a lot of, of people who were willing to, to take time and, and talk about this um, or take the survey, I should say. Yeah, we'll maybe um, come back to that issue of anonymity and how this plays into this later on. So, but yes, continue. What, tell, tell us about study one. So yeah, so study one really just asked them uh, a handful of questions about you know why they're there, either why they're reading or why they are uh, venting. And interestingly, the the reason why people go there to read the rants is just purely for entertainment. They think they're funny. They they think they're interesting. You know, they they aren't there really to learn much, but they just like going there um, for for that reason. When it comes to why people uh, vent, one of the things that I think was the most interesting finding is that we ask people in an open ended question how they feel after they do this you know what what is it like for you after you do this and what they said in fact a hundred percent of the time uh was i feel relaxed i feel calm um i uh, you know i i feel rested and that was surprising to me Mm. um typically you don't necessarily think that that's what you get from this you know i mean when we when we do other forms of catharsis, you know, it's like punching your pillow and things like that. People don't necessarily feel rested afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. They they feel more keyed up. Um, and so that was a little bit surprising to me that, that they felt this way. But it does speak to that reward that they get, right? I get it off my chest. I let the world know how mad I am. And then I feel calm and relaxed. Um, I should add, too, that a lot of people indicated wishing they had someone else to talk to. And so I think in some ways this audience felt relatively lonely, um, that that one of their problems is they just felt like they couldn't. They didn't have anyone they could talk to about this. Mm. I mean, yeah, that that feeling of relaxation and calmness again was something i found very difficult to relate to i, I you know my, most familiar for me is the feeling of agitation that that arises mm-hmm. um but you make the interesting point there and we may come back to that again is this the, the wanting other people to talk to but also the benefit of reading other people's rants 50 percent, i think said that they identified a sense of community as well as a benefit of being on this site yeah, that was really interesting. And this is one where you really need to to take a moment and think about kind of a pre-complicated social media world like we have now, because part of what you got from some of these sites, um, depending on which one is, you know, they had usernames. Uh, they, so they were able to go in and they were able they there was this uh, this sense of community where um, people would um, kind of talk about each other and they knew each other, even the people they didn't like. Um, and they would say, Oh, well, you know, so-and-so is always so vulgar or so-and-so is, you know, um, uh, always has such interesting posts and things like that. And so they, there was this kind of sense of community that they, that they got from being part of this group, especially those groups where they had like usernames that showed up. Mm. And there's also a little bit of a darker side that's emerging there as well. One of the reasons participants gave w- was enjoying other people's misery as well as understanding their own problems. 
Yep. Yeah, that was another um, another reason people gave is that that you know it wasn't uncommon for people to say, yeah, I went there because I wanted to see you know that other people's lives were as bad or worse than mine, and so they would describe that as one of their rationales for spending time there. So one of the things that you looked at was um, looking at the characteristics of the people that you managed to persuade into into entering into this study uh, and how different they might be from people in the general population. And you picked up some interesting stuff around their, their um, propensity to express anger. Do you want to talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit? Yeah. So what we did is we had them take a couple of uh, anger questionnaires. And these are anger questionnaires that we have data from the general population on. So we can make some comparisons between them uh, and the, the, you know, the regular population who's taking these questionnaires. And what we found is that uh, typically, um, well, on average, uh, ranters were angrier than the general population. In fact, they were angrier even then, or that they met the threshold for people who likely have anger problems based on these questionnaires that we took, that they took. And then, um, we also found that they tended to express their anger in uh, more maladaptive ways. So, you know, there are particularly negative ways of expressing your anger, um, outwardly yelling, screaming, that kind of thing. Actually suppressing anger can also be a, uh, a problem. And so internalizing it. Um, and what we found is that they were more likely to, um, have expressed their anger in those, uh, negative maladaptive ways. Mm. I mean, this calls into all sorts of different things for me in terms of psychological targeting of messages and conversion of people who have a profile like this into behaving in particular ways. Um, and I guess we've got a show coming up in, in a wee while that, that that's going to be discussing that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. And um, t- tell us about study two, because this is a, a different group of people with a different um, set of tasks that you're asking them to do, right? Yeah, so we um, we brought in some uh, a group of college students, and we had them actually kind of go through the experience that someone would go through if they went to that website. Um, they essentially they read a couple of rants, and then they got to write their own, um, and uh, we and then they reported their mood. Kind of after writing their own rants, and so we gave them a few minutes to just write whatever they wanted to, and then we recorded their mood. And really, um, what we found is that it, the, they, we didn't have the same sort of response from our participants that you than what you saw from the participants we we found on the websites. Um, the participants in the second study, they actually. Uh, they didn't feel seem to feel calm and relaxed after they ranted. They actually felt angrier. Um, and, um, and and actually, the other thing that happened is a lot of them got sad through this process. Mm. They didn't like they didn't like reading some of those posts. Um, you know, whether it was because of the the tone, um, whether it was just because they were um, uh, kind of embarrassed for the people there. Um, so really, in some ways, it speaks to a very specific population that goes and enjoys reading some of the posts on that website. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? I've noticed over the last few years, more and more kind of mainstream organizations, news organizations have turned off the comment feature um, on, mm-hmm. their, on their websites. Um, and I wonder whether it's to kind of 
it's partly maybe to protect their advertising revenue because it's really off-putting, I think, for the mm-hmm. majority of people to be exposed to that. Right. Yeah, I think there's, and I've noticed that with, um, I, I've noticed that as well, a lot of, you know, the turning off of comments um, in news sources, but other places as well. And I think that, um, I do think it is a turnoff for people. And I think actually, you know, we're, we're starting to see some evidence that a lot of young people are, are gravitating more towards um, things like Snapchat versus Twitter. And I think some of that is probably driven by the hostility that is alive and well on a place like Twitter, um, that you don't necessarily see that same sort of hostility and that same sort of um, environment in Snapchat, or at least we don't think we do. Um, Snapchat's much harder to research uh, than some of these other uh, things because it's not as public. But you know, I, I wonder if that hostility is driving people away from some of those uh, some of those media sites. Sure. Um, so again, some of the things that came up in this second study was that um, you asked people whether they would go back um, to, to, to this experience, go back, revisit a website like this. And what were the sorts of things that people were saying? Um, most did not want to, most Mm -hmm. were pretty happy to not have to go there again. Um, and, uh, the ones who did were just, they were the ones who ended up for whatever reason, they just found it entertaining. So they were the ones who were sort of most similar to, uh, the audience that we surveyed as far as that goes. Mm. Um, but yeah, most people didn't want to go, uh, go back to that website. Mm. So as I was reading your paper, I guess three things kind of stood out for me. One was this kind of strange sense of community for some people that this, these sorts of sites served um, to, to it, it fulfill the need somehow. Um, the idea of this being an outlet um, for some people, which was rewarding uh, for them. But then there was this thing that came up in both, entertainment. Um, and, and I'm wondering what, what you make of that. You know, what, what do we know about how expressing anger or seeing anger written down and engaging with that, how does that, how, how do we explain that? Yeah, you know, it's actually a great question. It's a great research question that I can only at this point speculate on as far as what the answers are. Um, but you're, because you're right, we do see, um, people being very interested in anger, um, in viewing it or witnessing or seeing it. And you can find that on YouTube, right? Whenever people sort of tape these ang- or record these angry interactions they have, those tend to be very popular on YouTube. In fact, you even see them going, uh, you know, viral in their own way in other places where, you know, someone just happens to catch a person, have an outburst at the mall, and then we, um, you know, and then it gets watched millions of times. Um, and so I think that for whatever reason, watching other people lose control is the kind of thing that seems to interest us. We have this fascination with it. Um, and I think that extends, I mean, if you think about, um, I mean, if you think about the popularity or, or the, I shouldn't say the popularity, but you think about the U.S. president, Donald Trump. And the way in which his Twitter activity, his Twitter hostility, I should say, has really captivated people on both sides. They really are fascinated by it in a way they they that is they probably shouldn't be. 
Um, but you do see a lot of fascination with that. And it's a little bit like, you know, looking at a car accident sometimes that this idea that like, you know, I just, I want to, I want to watch people behave badly. Mm, mm. Uh, and I'm just thinking as you were talking about how does anonymity kind of map onto this? Because as well as, well as watching people behaving badly, and I guess the idea that's going through in my mind is that the anonymity that people have now um, or can easily attain gives them also permission to behave badly as well as watching people behaving badly. Yeah, that was actually, an, and I'll be honest, I don't remember if it was that study or a different one, but in one of the, the studies uh, I have done, um, about 50% of participants said that they wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't behave any differently if it weren't anonymous. And I don't believe that for a second. I think we've got lots of evidence that says online anonymity um, exacerbates anger and uh, aggression and hostility. Um, that in some ways, that's sort of a license to uh, to do that. I mean, it's it's part of what we see. I mean, I think of of sometimes I think of the online environment as a little bit of a a little bit similar to a, a um, an offline mob, right? And that we know that when people aren't when when they when it feels like they're anonymous, whether they are or not, they behave differently than they otherwise would, right? And it's why sometimes in big groups, people say and do things that they wouldn't do if they were just standing there on their own. And I think that it's very clear that 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 the online environment, um, uh, be, the anonymity offered by the online environment, even if it's just the perception of anonymity really exacerbates the kind of hostility and aggression we see. Mm. So, Ryan, have you taken this forward? This research was published in 2013, and you're an anger researcher. How have you taken forward or further explored um, these ideas on the Internet as we see it today and the various different environments that people can view and interact and create content related to this anger? You know, I've, I'm actually in the process of doing some of that follow-up research, and I've collected some data on Twitter uh, and other sorts uh, of sources to get a feel for what it is or why people um, uh, express their anger they, the way they do. Um, what we see is that, you know, a lot of people just willingly go – to and, and Twitter in particular was one of the more recent studies, um, and this is unpublished raw data at this point. But you know, about half of Twitter users say they tweet often as a way of dealing with anger. Uh, that that's one of the one of the reasons one of the things they do. Um, and so these are these are participants who actually know. Yeah, I I use Twitter that way intentionally. Um, a lot of them are hoping that the person that they're venting about will read it, you know, and so they, they are interested in that it, for that reason. Um, they, um, and a lot of people, now, these numbers are smaller, but when you think about that, one of the things I've been really interested in is, um, so the backstory here is that we have this questionnaire that we've been using for a long time called the anger consequences questionnaire. But the anger consequences questionnaire was was designed well before social media was a thing. And so what I'm curious about is how, you know, what some of the new consequences are. And what we hear is that people, you know, I've got what 3% of people say they've lost a friend because of things they've tweeted. 
Um, we've got uh, participants, 9% said in the, in, in the last month that they've gotten in arguments that they later regretted. Um, you know, even, even sending email they later regretted because the online environment isn't just uh, social media, you know, email, texting, things like that are also possible. And so I think that we see that um, there's lots of or what some of what our findings really are, are really include um, this idea that people are having some pretty serious consequences because of the way they are expressing their anger. And that shouldn't be too surprising to us in the sense that this is a new, a relatively new environment and people you know haven't been well trained for it um and i think that's part of what's going on is that the norms aren't there and people are they don't they haven't necessarily developed the capacity for impulse control in that environment um and so i think all of those things are kind of playing themselves out Mm. That's a very interesting point around managing impulse control uh, and how we get taught to do that and these immediately present mechanisms which make it so easy for us to express them. Um, So you've kind of like started going into my final kind of section here, Ryan, but who should be who should care about this research that you're doing this paper and where you're going with this and this idea of anger on the Internet? And uh, and what's the point? What should we be doing with this? I think, you know, what I would say is as far as who should care is, um, and I'm going to expand this. I mean, it's, I'm mostly talking about anger, but what I say about anger could be true about, frankly, any emotion. But I think all human beings who interact, uh, who, are, who are involved in social media in any way should care. Um, I think actually social media and the Internet have fundamentally changed the way human beings experience and express emotions. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, this morning, first thing I did when I got up, I, you know, I, I set my coffee to, to start uh, making my coffee. And then I grabbed my phone and started just flipping through uh, Facebook. And during that time, I saw all of these different comments or posts from friends, you know, and I, and I contrast that with 10 years ago, and I wouldn't have had access to any of that information. And so in that information, I might learn that a friend is sick. I may learn that a friend is getting divorced. I may learn that a family member care, feels very differently than me about politics, et cetera. I've got all this different information that I didn't have before. And that's all information that I can react to emotionally. And so I don't know what I used to do while I waited for my coffee to be made, but it wasn't learn that stuff Mm. (laughs) about people. And now I'm having all these emotions first thing in the morning that I probably wouldn't have had a while ago. And so it fundamentally changes things from that perspective, but then it also changes how we can respond. And I mean, it changes the language uh, of our responses too, with the way in which people communicate now with GIFs and the way that we communicate with emoticons and all these things. And so we've got this new language for how we express our emotions. And then we, we obviously have the new venue, right? I can, you know, post online, I can send emails, I can send texts, I can, I can do all of these things that I couldn't do before. And that, again, I think, um, really changes uh, the way, uh, the way we communicate and the way we feel things. 
And just as you were speaking there, I was thinking about your Facebook experience and how common that will be for, for many people mm-hmm. who are listening to this. And I, I was wondering about the carryover impact of that kind of like emotional stimuli of that dose that you have mm-hmm. whilst you're waiting for your coffee. Do, do we know about the sort of like the the lasting impact and consequences? You know, how long does that last? How does it set people up to receive further stimuli during the day or close them off? Actually, they're like, that's too much. I'm not going to do that anymore. Or predispose them. You know, all, all of these things around having that experience that we, like you say, didn't have a decade ago. It's a short, short amount of time. Yeah. And I, so I don't, I don't think we have any quality, uh, excuse me, any quantitative data to say that there is a carryover effect. But I think that despite that, we know that there must be a carryover effect Um, that, you know, one of the things we talk about when we think about the typical reason why people get angry, so much of it has to do with the state they are in before Mm. they're provoked, right? Whether Mm. or not, I mean, and we all know this, right? You're more likely to get angry if you're already tired or hungry or running late for something or hot or whatever. And so, you know, if you already are sort of queued up to be angry based on all of the stuff you've been reading in the news or all this stuff you've been reading on Facebook or whatever, um, that you're going to be more likely to to get angry from uh, when provoked later on. And so we we must assume that uh, or we have every reason to assume that that there is some sort of carryover effect what we don't know is how long it lasts or or um you know how significant the effect is mm. wouldn't it be great if we get some kind of like real-time content analysis of people's consumption of media and then real-time emotional tracking or even right. blood pressure tracking you know as, yep. as they go through the day that, that would be fantastic absolutely one thing I always want to convey to people is when I talk about anger is that we, we have a tendency to think of anger as always bad, you know, as always problematic. And, um, and anger and it's because we notice it most when it gets in the way. But anger is actually a, a fundamentally valuable emotion. It has this, you know, evolutionary uh, what developed in us um, because it solves some of evolutionarily adaptive problems, right? It, it alerts us to injustice. It energizes us to confront injustice. And so I think it'd be a shame if people walked away from this show or any other discussion of anger thinking of it as, as primarily bad. Um, I think it's primarily good, but the key is, and this is what's really relevant to your show, is um, the key is how we express it. What do we do with it? You know, there's there's all sorts of healthy ways to deal with anger. There's actually even all sorts of healthy ways to deal with anger online. Right. I can write my congressperson. um, I can I can, um, you know, communicate in like a a positive, pro-social, assertive way instead of, you know, having a fit or having a tantrum. for joining us on the show this week hope you enjoyed that conversation you can follow me on twitter where i will not be angry at saab s-a-r-b or at w-c-w-t-p at who cares what's the point.com facebook.com forward slash w-c-w-t-p and please rate us share us 
review us on iTunes as well as your favorite podcast catcher. Um, it's been great to have you on the show. You can support the show on patreon.com forward slash Saab Johal, J-O-H-A-L. And um, it's been fantastic to be able to bring this show to you, uh, the second one of the new year. Uh, so please do remember. Who cares? What's the point? Thank you.